To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Jordan Brashears. So Jordan, he's a, a local Montana guy here. He drove down, met me at the house. We recorded a podcast, but he's been affiliated with Eastman's for years now. He's he's done filming and, and had shows on the Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, he's done writing for us and, and uh, just a, a great guy and and a consistent killer with a bow in his hands. He he just um he finds a way to not just tag year after year on quality critters and and uh, so it's just really fun to sit down with him and talk shop. Um, I've known him for ten years. We met when we were neighbors years ago when he moved into a house next to me there. Um, and we tell the story on the podcast. Uh, we've done a hunt together and we've hung out and kept in touch. Um, just a great guy and a great hunter. So thanks to, to uh, Jordan for being on. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Sitka. Um, again, guys, um, I'm using Sitka exclusively for my hunting and almost exclusively now for my fishing and my trail running and uh, my work, you know, uh, in construction. I have to work outside a lot. So I'm just using their gear nonstop. They just build technical mountaineering gear and they just they've evolved their their clothing and their fit and their fabric just year after year to make it better. And and 2018's no exception. They just came out with their brand new line. It just launched their Apex line. Um, what awesome gear. I, I got a chance to go over to the Sitka office and look at it before it came out. And, uh, that apex hoodie is, is unreal. It's merino wool. It, it's got, you know, a, a hood and I, I like the hood design and zipper on it. Uh, it's got smart design pockets. It's got, uh, elbow pads that you can take out or leave in for elbow crawling. And, and same thing with their pants. It's a really good weight too. It's just, it's in between their lightweight hoodie and their heavyweight hoodie, but it's merino wool. Um, just an awesome product. So check out that new line, the 2018 the Apex line. Uh, it, it's really well thought out. So they have a, a hoodie and then a, a set of pants for that line. So uh, thanks to Sitka for being part of the podcast and supporting it. We really appreciate it. Um, and then over there at Eastman's, I'm uh, going to sit down. I, th- I keep telling you guys I'm going to record that that podcast, but I'm going to sit down with Scott tomorrow. We're going to record a podcast and um, just keep things rolling. we got a lot of really good guests coming up um, for Eastman's Elevated, and uh, I know we got good episodes coming out of, of Beyond the Grid, and um, it's just fun to be a part of and, and fun to be – uh, have such a role over there at such a great company, Eastman. So um, thanks to those guys for everything they do for, for me and the podcast and, and for Western hunting. And with that, um, let's get this conversation rolling. So it's just fun. Me and Jordan just sit down and just start talking shop about um, you know hunting our public lands and hunting after elk. And we touch on his special tag. He had a, a moose tag we talk about and um, gosh, he, well, we'll get into it on the podcast. So here we go. It's, it's me and Jordan Brashears, Eastman's Elevated. Yeah. 
I'm here live with Jordan Brashears. Um, Jordan made the run down tonight from Belgrade down here to Ennis. So I really appreciate you coming down and being on. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Yeah, so we've known each other for quite a while, and um, you've been part of the Eastman staff for a long time. Um, you're just one of those guys that is consistently successful year after year on good quality critters, all with your bow and arrow. Um, so it's just wild. Yeah, kudos to you, and congratulations on another good season. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy to think what 2000. Seven December 2007 I moved to Montana and you drove by the next summer or stopped by and I was shooting targets out front and that's who would have thought we would have met at that point you know that was 11 years ago this summer this summer you know pretty crazy that is wild yeah we were neighbors for a while and um yeah you you drive by and you see somebody with an archery target and pretty soon you go oh yeah he's he's like me next time i see him outside i'll stop and say hey you yep, know and then yep. we chatted we even did a hunt together and we've kept in touch throughout the years but um yeah you've been extremely successful and keep evolving your hunting game i saw that that bull you harvested this year that was wild that was during uh general rifle season and you killed a, a bull with your bow yeah i was pretty impressed by that yeah thanks I, I was pretty impressed too it was just uh not on my own on my own skills level but just that it happened you know mm -hmm. it's like one of those things where you better be lucky than good any day one of those moments and i mean it was a perseverance pays off situation for me for sure i i was kind of down in the dumps with my archery season finishing and not killing a bull and it's like oh my goodness is this gonna happen i'm i'm gonna try and i didn't even really go out with elk hunting in mind that day i was gonna go scout for mule deer and just try to get hunkered in on some some deer spots and and i found a herd and it, it all came together like clockwork you know and you just kind of go into a zone and mm -hmm. do your thing and and all of a sudden you're standing over a bull on the hillside that you just killed you know it's like almost like I was a blacked out for a little while not, not, not literally but <laughs> yeah just you just do it you just get into a groove and go and uh, every move I made was the right one that day and, mm -hmm. and I ended up with a beautiful bull on the ground and I couldn't be I was just stoked I called my wife and she was busy she's like honey can I call you right back I'm like no 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 just give me one second she, <laughs> and she's like she's like well okay go ahead and I was like I just killed a smoking bull and I'm just I just wanted, I want to get on the phone with you and the kids and share it with you. And she's like, oh, wow. And, you know, of course, they didn't even know I was really what I was doing. They went to church and I wasn't really feeling that well this morning. So I hung back and, and I started kind of like thinking to myself, I bet you I could sweat this cold off. And so I'm going to get out in the hills and pound it, you know, and, and long story short, a few hours later, <laughs> I killed a bull. <laughs> Good for you. It was pretty awesome. So. Yeah. Well, and it, uh, perseverance it's uh that's that's one of the biggest keys to success isn't it it's just like keep going keep grinding no matter what happens yep. like you say bow season was over and, and you usually kill a bull every year this year it didn't happen and so you just you, you uh just being out in the field stuff happens being right. out there and hunting like stuff comes together yep. so yeah how wild so caught the herd made some moves on them and was able to get in on that nice six point put an arrow in them post rut i'm sure right it was late yeah. october yeah, it was, uh, I think I just looked at the tag the other day. It was like October 27th. So it was the second weekend of general season. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, they were bugling, but it was a big herd. You know, there was probably 120 in that head uh, or in that herd there. And there was three or four six by six bulls. Um, definitely kind of, you know, that last part of the ruts over, but they're still trying to boss each other around and, and show off their stuff. And, I figured 
it was super open country. I mean, you look at the pictures in there and people laugh at they're like, well, what'd you shoot it from? You know, it's like, it looks like you're in flat fields. And yeah, there was, there was obviously, you know how the terrain can be found anywhere if you're looking for it. And where they were moving, uh, I don't know if somebody bumped him or what, but I, I could tell that they had a pretty good direction picked out and they were taking it. And so I just looked ahead, I actually pulled up my Onyx maps, checked out the drainages ahead of them and I could see that the one I was in splintered into those and then I knew you know how you always think with elk it's like oh well I could just hike up there and it's like no you better run because <laughs> when elk walk we we need to run to keep up right so I ran for a mile and I knew as soon as I hit the base of that draw I it would be there either in the zone or out of the zone and I hit the, where it split and I looked up, and they were coming down into the draw already. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then they were 400 yards away. It's like, all right. So I had to back up about a quarter mile and run up the next draw. So I ran another three-quarters of a mile or so. And I posted up at right at the end of the draw. And I didn't. Th- I knew they were kind of hitting the heads of each draw as they were cutting across. For whatever reason, they picked that line, and they stayed with it. Mm-hmm. And so I hunkered down. I didn't even get my, well, I got my rangefinder out, and as I was pulling it up, the bull came over the ridge in front, and it was like, bull in front, what's up with this? But they were kind of kicking each other around just enough, and he was out, he was on his trot right at me, like right at me, and I was like, oh, turned, just set my pin at 30, because I knew I could get him at pretty much any distance he stopped at, because he was already at 30, and he stopped at 15 yards, stared at me. I was like, oh, man, am I going to be able to pull this off? And he wheeled like he was going to run, but then he stopped. I cow called. <laughs> My attack cat, sorry. Attack cat. <laughs> My cat's climbing all over Jordan. <laughs> must know that we're doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. So got in front of him, knew yep. he was at 30, and then he he came over, and you were able to get a clear shot on him? Yeah, he's he actually – turned to walk back towards the herd and I stopped him with a cow call and, and just oh, sunk perfect. one perfect like you know just like you want to and and he ran uh, over the hill and I just I basically ran after him as fast as I could just so I could keep eyes on him I knew I hit him perfect but I wanted to see him go down but I was pretty stoked so good for you great way to end the Montana elk season for I sure. would say um yeah, and so much of uh, uh, bow hunting, like you think of bow hunting and you're still hunting through the forest or you're making this methodical slow stock on animals, which, which you need to know when to slow down when you're making a play. But so much of elk hunting and deer hunting, it is, it's like running to try to get that opportunity, yeah. to try to create that opportunity. And, and with elk, a lot of times, I mean, I've had it where I'm jogging to keep up with the herd to see where they disappear to hopefully make a play, jogging to, to get in front of them to cut them off like you did on that ball yeah um but yeah it's it's amazing and and uh people say why do you run it's like well that's why i run like i know at some point in the season i'm gonna have to run to get an opportunity at something and and it is you move quick to get those opportunities or even on mule deer like you bet them like you run because you don't want them to change beds or move from their position and then you get into that two three hundred start moving slower 100 slower yet like a like a big part of bow hunting too is knowing when to slow down yeah then that's super tough i mean because you're everything in you saying i gotta get there now right <laughs> i know they're right over that hill yes <laughs> but yeah you're you know if you go fast you're gonna screw it up and that's, oh yeah that's probably it, the hardest lesson to learn i would say for 
especially new hunters coming up, but even me still, I still find them bedded and I know I got to go slower and I'm just every step. I'm like, slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> yes. When you, when you think you're moving slow enough, slow down. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like, um, cause you're just trying to be silent and you're trying to approach them and, and you don't want them aware of your presence. If they hear you coming, all eyes are going to be on you yep. and you probably won't get that shot. Or if they see you exposing yourself like over a ridge line, like you're busted, the game's over. They see you like maybe you'd be able to get a shot, probably not. Right. But yeah, so much of it is is earned like right in that last little bit and you're fighting every fiber in your being right. that's saying, hurry up and look over there, hurry up and see if he's there. And you got to just move slow in that final little bit. And and you're not going to get it right all the time. You're going to mess it up. I still oh, yeah. mess it up because it's just not a it's not black and white of when to slow down. It all mm-hmm. goes back to your instincts, which all, you know, which are created through your experiences, but those instincts that just knowing when to slow down and the right speed to move is so important in bow hunting. True. Yeah, and then like last year I I did perfect stock twice. Slow, 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 and you get there and they're gone. And, yes. you're, and you're like, what? No wind problems. They just decided to move. You know, so I think that's part of the problem sometimes is you remember, well, they move. They rebed. So if I don't get there quick enough, <laughs> then I lose them. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah. so you're fighting the, like, you're darned if you do, darned if you don't. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, and you don't know which move is going to kill you the bull. Right. Uh, most of the time, it is slowing down and being patient, right. at least in that final approach. Right. But you're right. Sometimes you get there, and they're gone. And, like, the way I try to look at it is at least I didn't screw it up. Like, when I'm in that final approach and, and my body is screaming at me to hurry up, right. I go – I'm not going to screw up this opportunity. I'm going to take my time, these last 20 steps, 30 steps, take my time. And when I get there, they're not going to know I'm coming, you know, or if I get there and they're gone, so be it. At least it wasn't me that blew them out of there. At least that's the way I try to look at it. Yeah. No, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I've taken it to that level of thought process. I fly by the seat of my pants too much probably, but I need to uh, consider that as a success instead of ah I should have gone faster because that's probably you know where mm-hmm. I get and I get there and I'm like well they're gone I should have gone faster well so much of bow hunting is just making those quick decisions in the moment too isn't it mm-hmm. just like your bull like you described like I just made every move right like I blacked out like you just start counting on your instincts and once you hunt enough and you bow hunt enough like there's an animal I'm gonna make a play and you just go from there like you're going on the fly like you say you're finding a ravine or a bottom or or you might make a game plan but country never looks the same when you get over there and so even the most well thought out plan has to be adapted along the way or you know you 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 have to take a different approach or adapt it to to what the terrain's giving you or the animal will move so all of a sudden the place you were stalking to the animal's no longer there so I think a lot of hunting is just adapting on the fly being in the moment like definitely not um being reckless or like overexposing yourself or making mistakes you definitely want to minimize that sure but i think a lot of it is just done in the moment in the hunt making decisions quickly don't you oh definitely and i i think that's a lot of what has made me successful over the years you know you trial and error trial and error trial and error and started on turkeys and then you're doing it on uh, elk or, or deer and failing and, and but when i moved to montana you could shoot six does with your bow right so it's like or five does with your bow and yep. a buck and i'm like heck yeah this is gonna be awesome it's hard to go shoot five does with your bow 
in the middle of a river valley, you know, trying to stick stick even just a white-tailed doe. And you think I used to tell my buddies like, well, if you can't kill a white-tailed doe with your bow, you probably really shouldn't just be tearing off into the woods trying to shoot an elk. I mean, not that you're not gonna have any success there. It was like Dan Dan Picard's uh, philosophy of kill, kill, kill. You know, the more you get that opportunity to harvest and put that feather in your cap, you know, you're going to gain ground there. And I wasn't there when I moved to Montana. I was a Washington boy, kind of, you know, like you, and you get one season, one tag, you better use it or burn it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I could, I killed a buck every year out of a tree stand, but I mean, what, what compares to Western hunting out of that? It's totally different ball game, right? Mm -hmm. Move over here, start chasing critters. And my stock game had to improve really fast and major leaps and bounds or I wasn't going to do what I wanted to do. Cause even when I elk hunted, it was thick, thick jungle. So you weren't stalking, you were calling mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, occasionally you'd stalk something, but it was very rare. I mean, every, every bull I shot before I moved to Montana was 12, 15 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's the farthest you could shoot. So you move over here and it's like, Oh, this is going to be easy there. I can see the next, mountain five miles away i'll be able to find him and get on him and kill him and then you gotta then the work begins right mm-hmm. learning how to stalk and learn how to be slow i remember that first hunt you and i did you slid down that hill on your butt with your bow on your knees and you just inched your way down after that bull <laughs> and you almost got him and i was over there like yeah i'm gonna go for the one that's bugling in this next draw because i can hear him Mm-hmm. And you made a play on a bull, this great bull, and almost killed him because you knew how to stalk. And that, for me, was eye-opener because I had never played it that way. I always played in the jungle and called him. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I don't even know how I got onto that rabbit trail. but <laughs> No, that's cool. Um, it, it does. It's effective out here out west, isn't it? And, um, like, being able to see him and being able to stalk him, like, that's where a lot of your opportunity comes from because, yeah. uh, you know, you're not calling in a lot of mule deer or, you know, whitetails during the right season, yeah, but – Sure. Uh, a lot of our hunting, the antelope, whitetail, mule deer, and then even our elk. Our elk are getting so high pressured over here. A lot of the spots that we hunt, they don't call very good. And so, um, you know, you you kind of start to learn that spot and stock is your best option. And so, yeah, you just start evolving that game quick. And, and, and with that, like you learn approaches and what to do and, and experience is the best teacher. You made a great point, like um, – uh, Dan Picard, that's his theory on it, is that you want to harvest a lot of game animals in mine too. Like um, the, those high opportunity hunts are, are priceless as far as experience. And I yeah. I think guys to improve Huge. their game, even even me and you, I still go hunt does. Like um, yeah. white-tailed does around here, we still get our five tags in different units. And so to go mix in, it, it's great organic meat. They're challenging. Yep. And like you, you get on top of your spot and stock game and, and you're right, it builds your confidence the more of those you can do execute good shots it builds your confidence for that other big game and so yeah that's been one of my big teachers too is just doing a lot of hunts and high opportunity hunts where you're getting a lot of chances like elk you may only get a couple stocks a season if you're just starting out when you go out on a white-tailed doe hunt you're getting you know a few stocks a day or like a antelope hunt a few stocks a day like that's great Uh, the best teacher you could have for for western hunting spot and stock oh definitely i think that's absolutely key to becoming good at killing regularly Mm -hmm. is how do you how else do you do it besides killing regularly you know (laughs) right and it's like i I didn't think about it that way so much until I started hunting with Dan and he's 
asking me like, well, you know, you kill two animals a year, three animals a year. It's like, yeah, pretty much because that's all I have tags for. Right. So I tag out in Idaho, tag out in Montana. Yeah. That's two bulls if I'm lucky. And then I shoot a buck somewhere and that's pretty good. And he's like, well, that's all right. But how are you going to really get better if you're not killing five or six or 10, you know, it's like, I don't know. I guess I haven't really thought of it that way. You know, I've never, I didn't grow up into that. And sure, when I first moved here, I took advantage of it because I kind of was sticker shocks, like, heck, yeah, I can shoot a bunch of deer, so I'm going to do it. But then I started letting that fall off and just focusing on the big bulls and the big bucks. And meanwhile, I was kind of stale in my killing. My harvest tactics were not sharp. You know, so I went to Hawaii with Dan. We killed a bunch of animals, and that was kind of the start on to you can do it here. Hawaii is great. I mean, you did Hawaii last year. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's awesome. But if you don't have – that time or the resource we have that here in Montana, we're really blessed with it, mm-hmm. but pretty much anywhere. I mean, you can shoot prairie dogs, mm-hmm. carp. Have you ever done bow fishing? I haven't. No, I haven't ever shot carp. I heard it's really fun though. It's a blast, man. And and it's something you can do with your kids. I, my, my boy and I do it like crazy. My daughter's going to be doing it with us this summer and it's great instinctive shooting training, you know? So sure. It's not shooting a deer at 20 or 30 yards, mm-hmm. but you're still, becoming efficient for that second nature that that bow becoming an extension of who you are to be able to turn around and use that in the field it's Mm -hmm. it's still building all of those principles up which is turning my kids into shooters naturally instead of just finding the pin and finding the the peep and finding the level and make sure they're both and all that stuff i mean those are important things for hitting a target and for shooting a bull down range but if you ha- can't do it under pressure then it's going to be even more tough right That's yeah and there's there's those killer instincts too like you the guys that harvest consistently they can just make shots under pressure you yeah. know and it's spending time with that bow it's it's getting harvest under your belt and then you know you get a few harvests and like um all of a sudden, I, I don't know, like I love hunting any species in different habitats and trying to make it happen, but eventually you don't get the same adrenaline dose as you do with a buck. Like sure. I find that like a doe, like I'm really calm and collected. Yep. I shot enough of them to where, you know, I it's like I got ice water running through my veins. Mm-hmm. Well, you stick a 200-inch muley, like I can't say I always have ice water running through my veins. Like I take <laughs> right. a couple deep breaths and most of the time I can make my shot and execute, but it's yeah. a different level of adrenaline. Totally. So, you know, I, I think you get like good experience under your belt and then you start setting your goals for the season and whether that's a, a four-point buck or whether – you know, it's your biggest buck today, whatever your goal is. And you, mm-hmm. you don't want to set your goals too high where you don't get any opportunity where you're like the fun of bow hunting is actually chasing the animals, right. you know? And so yeah. you, you want to kind of work your way up that ladder of, of being a, a trophy hunter or setting your goals and achieving them, you know? And, um, but I definitely get a different dose of adrenaline, like on a, on a big six point bowl, like different than oh, I get yeah. shooting at a cow. Yeah. So it's like working your way up and getting a, a comfort level with, with being in that, that, that red zone of an animal and executing that shot. But you're right. Like does Hawaii antelope, any of those high opportunity hunts, they, they just get you ready for that. Yep. Build that up. And then, like you said, transition into your fall and then don't make it not fun. That's, you know, your, yes. like you said, your goals have to be realistic. I, I know how many years I spent uh, trying to kill bigger bulls than my spot would even produce you know my, yes. one of my buddies always said you're only as good as your spot and that's such a good 
thing to keep in mind. It's like if I'm hunting in my Idaho spot, I need to be happy with a 300 class bull because it's not producing many more than that. Yes. You know, and then if I'm hunting in some of my Montana spots, I'm still probably going to be happy with a 300 class bull just because that's who I am. But I could hold out for bigger in some of these spots, you know, and that's, that's so easy to, I went hunted with Dan Evans a few years back in Nevada and you, you know, you're hunting a unit that takes the, the locals 16 years to draw or longer there's 400 inch bulls there. We saw several, I mean, every day you see a 350 bull and occasionally, and then when you see 370, you slow down and spot him a little longer. And so then I come home and I was like, I'm going to shoot a 340 bull. That's just my number this year. And I, and I didn't kill anything because I set my sights too high really for where I was hunting in my experience levels. And then it just didn't, it wasn't fun either because I was out there. I passed up a couple of smoking bulls. So it was fun in that sense. Mm-hmm. Because I had some really cool encounters. But at the end of season, I ended up shooting a bull with my rifle just to fill the freezer. And it just, that isn't why I bow hunt. That's not why I'm an archery hunter. Because, you know what I mean? So it's like, I would have been happier shooting a cow with my bow at the end of season just to be tagged out. Then I, then I dragging through the end of November and finally going out and shooting a bull, which I'm, I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. No, I get yeah. where you're going with it though. Um, it's not the same. Yeah. Your, your, uh, expectations has to match your opportunity. Right. And so I'd always look at it like, um, how many opportunities did I have at like, say I want to kill a 320 class bull. Okay. This season I had three opportunities. I got three stocks and I, I either ended up harvesting one or I didn't, but you know, now like I can expect next season that I can set my goal at a 320 class inch bull. Cause I had three opportunities last season. Yeah. I know if I work hard, this spot will produce that kind of bull. Like, and I'll get opportunities at those bulls if I hold out now. Yeah. Where that bites you is when you set your expectations too high. And I know like I, I want a 350 bull with my bow so bad. Like I just love giant bulls and yep. I've picked the sheds for years. I have one with my rifle and I've got quite a few bulls that are just under that with my bow, like those really solid ones. Yep. But yeah, the year that I held out and said, I'm going to kill a 350 bull. Yeah. I may get an opportunity at a 350 bull a season, maybe a couple, you know, in the mm-hmm. spots that I have and what they produce. But I ended up passing up so many good opportunities at 320 class bulls and not like opportunities like he's standing at 30 yards past him, but see him at a half a mile and go, no, I'm not going to make a play. He's not quite big enough. I'm going to look for another one, which it's fun. But, uh, you know, the reason I bow hunt is to go make plays. And I got done with the season and it was like, man, I should have made a play at that bull Mm -hmm. at that bull at that. You know, those are great bulls I would have been psyched with. So, yeah, you definitely got to set your goals where where you're going to get opportunities at those type of critters. And like you say, have fun. Like we're goal orientated and, and we all want to harvest good critters. Like that's a really good feeling when you accomplish your goals, but we also got to embrace the entire experience and like have fun out there with our bow. Like it's our time off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to regret. I heard uh, Dan Heverin say that the other day. Don't want to go home with regrets. And it's, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say I regret any of my time of field necessarily. Mm-hmm. And there's been moments I've made really poor decisions. But if you learn from them, I mean, I remember, yes. I remember calling you from the side of a mountain one of the first years I was here, and I had just lost one of my first bowls. And I don't know if you remember that or mm-hmm. not. And I was just sick. And it's, and you even said, well, if you learn from it, it's a good thing, right? And I was, I'm sitting here thinking, how can anything good come from this? <laughs> but it was. I mean, it was a good thing. I learned a lesson that I've, you know, hope to God never to repeat again. And I mean, we have that happen in the, in mm-hmm. the industry. I mean, you have it happen if you're a hunter, right? Yes. But it's, 
it still raises the bar for ourselves to move forward and mm-hmm. and try harder and be more efficient, you know, and shoot better and uh, you know be more in shape. All those things that help minimize those mistakes. But it's still going to happen. So yep. Yeah. Well, and us guys, we just learn lessons the hard way, and those are the best teachers because they they tug at your soul, like you say, right. when you lose a bowl or you made a mistake or you know, and a and a animal suffers because of it, or you don't end up you know uh, uh, retrieving that animal. You know, like yeah, it tugs at your soul. It ruins your whole season. And so those hard lessons, like those, hit home. Like yeah. then you don't rush things. You don't try to force that shot. You learn that hard lesson that time. Uh, and it does it it pushes you to be a better bow hunter and a better person but yeah it's i think it's almost necessary like um you know some people can maybe hear it and learn from it but for me i had to make the mistakes myself i had to make those mistakes in my shooting at choose not being patient enough trying to force an arrow you know and then forcing it bad and, and having something bad happen or you know trying to take a shot that's over my effective range like um you know you can shoot a long ways with today's bows and you can get the the correct range and it's ethical to take shots like that but you know really you're you're 20 yards less effective in the mountains standing on some uneven slope in the fog of adrenaline than you are in flip-flops in your backyard you know and so you got to take that into account you know so yeah yeah, and a moving target yeah oh yeah right (laughs) absolutely so yeah i i think um like you say, those lessons are a good thing. They, they, they teach us and make us better hunters. Right. If you learn from them, then there's no regrets. You know, I mean, sure, it's like I'm going to try not to do that again, but you're moving forward, and that's – I don't know. I mean, I think that's absolutely fundamental to having success again, right? Mm-hmm. We learn from those failures, but at the same time, we continue to raise the bar for ourselves. And, and then don't set your goals too high. I like to get back to that again. I mean – when I started doing the TV show with Eastman's, it really put everything into perspective for what reality is. I mean, now you have, you've been doing it. You get a camera guy behind you, and maybe he's your hunting partner, or maybe he's not. And you have everything changes, and the, and there's a n- new pressure over on top of it. You know, it's not just hunting to hunt; it's hunting to hopefully. You know, it's the team, the brand, the the buddies back at Eastman's, you're trying to bring it all into one pot and make success out of it. And it changes the whole game to some degree. At least it does for me. I don't know how you experienced it. But when I when that started happening, my whole understanding of, well, I'm going to kill a 320 bull, it just went out the window. It's like, I just want to kill a bull because this is way harder now than it, than it used to be. Like, I could sneak in on bulls pretty regularly by myself. But then you throw all of this maybe even just the pressure into it and that's where i really learned that i need to hunt to have fun because at first it was fun and then it was stressful and then i was a failure because i didn't get my first one on film and then you know what i mean and these are all my own pressures i mean guys super super easy to deal with in all that regard but at this at the same time it was either make it or break it i'm gonna either love hunting or I'm not going to be able to do it for on TV, one or the other, because I can't go hunting like it's a job and be miserable out in the woods. What good is that going to do for me or for Eastman's or for the, the viewership, right? Mm-hmm. And it really changed, and it's changed over the years. I mean, that's been, I think, five years ago now. And it's gone up and down. It's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. But today, I appreciate hunting way more than I ever would have known differently because 
of all these trials and all these experiences and and the failures with the TV show and the pressures of that. And, and now I can just go out into the woods and know it's like, all right, I'm just going to do my best mm -hmm. and I'm going to have fun while I'm doing it. And I hope it's good enough. Right. Good for you. Uh, growing as a hunter and growing as a person, like I think we all are, we're just trying to figure out life and get better as we go along. And I, I've gotten that too, where, you know, I'm so goal driven and I work so hard to those goals and that's my, my testing ground. Right. But sometimes I put so much pressure on myself. Like I, all of a sudden I, I'm not having fun anymore. I'm not enjoying yep. the scenery around me. Like I, I'm so goal driven and so orientated. And like you say, those those pressures you put on yourself and and like you say when the when you're representing the eastman's brand and you're you're, you're representing guy and ike and everybody there like you know they're they're counting on you too and so right. like when you come up short like you put a lot of pressure on yourself to succeed you've been given this great opportunity you love to hunt and now you get to showcase it and show the world show your family and friends yep. like that's a lot of pressure too yeah more um, than you think yeah well yeah. and and two there's no hiding like uh when you're being <laughs> when you're being videoed like you you the world sees any mistakes you make yeah like it, it's right. uh you know the editor is going to see everything like you're not able to cut things out like everything is there on the screen to see yep. and um you got to make sure that you're representing hunt, hunting in a positive light and i'm like you like the the key to to life or the key to happy or the i think is being happy in life sure like and that's the same thing with hunting like enjoying hunting is like enjoying your time out there enjoying like so little of the experience is actually harvesting that animal like what's fun is all the work and and getting away from the stresses of life and and yep. being in the woods and connecting with it and so yeah you got to embrace that and um yeah not get too caught up in the chase although i love the chase yeah but um it's a balance it is. Yeah. Well, in, in part of the enjoyment, and I always say is like being immersed in the experience or immersed in hunting elk. Like when I'm thinking about elk and making a play and where's my stock and where am I going to be in the morning? Where's the best vantage point? Like everything else is so far out of my brain. Like that's what I'm focused on. And I like that focus. I like that intensity of thinking about that hunt. And so that's part of the enjoyment for me. I just got to gotta uh, look up and smell the roses every now and again and realize I'm in the coolest place on planet earth. Like the right. most remote nature and like this is really fun like I'm, I'm pushing myself mentally and physically like enjoy this you know this is a, a fleeting moment you know like you don't get to hunt all the time and yeah so. it's I mean even when you spread it out like like we've done where you can hunt seven months out of the year it still isn't the same because elk season only happens for a month and two weeks of it is epic you know what I mean mm -hmm. so there's and sometimes less than that depending on the fall and so like uh, I heard Dan Heron say the other day it you spend all year preparing for it. Basically, what a shame is it to just go out there and let whatever it is make that not a good experience for mm -hmm. you. You know, whether it's the pressure for for trying to perform because you want to kill a monster because everybody else on social media kills monsters, or exactly, or whether it's the the your own pressure. Like, mm -hmm. like I I feel like we're a lot alike in that way. You know, you really have all these goals set out, and then you don't you're not hitting them. So then. Are you going to stop and smell the roses and just decide to have fun anyway or let that kind of drag down the moment, you know? And mm -hmm. that's that's where a good hunting partner can really pull you back up and help a lot, which is a huge blessing if you have that, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a guy that you can have fun with and you gel with and um, enjoy the misery together, enjoy right. kind of the pain and the suffering together. Like, yeah, yep. that's um, that's priceless. But, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, it's um, it, it's difficult. It's a journey for all of us. We're just all trying to enjoy it more and uh, enjoy it as much as we can. It is our free time and what you think about all year long. And so when you're in it, um, you know, it's a grind. It's not fun all the time. You're running after elk. Well, that's kind of the fun part. But, right. you know, you, like uh, just all the miles you have to put on and mountains you have to climb, you're constantly pushing yourself. And, and uh, yeah, and, and under those pressures too, like uh, when you really put that extreme pressure on yourself – you don't perform any better. If anything, I think you perform worse. Right. You put so much pressure that you're almost trying to force arrows or force opportunities where if you're just in the moment and like you're just hunting and, and enjoying it, like you make better decisions and you're better under that crunch, you know? Definitely. Oh, and yeah, without question, you know, like last year when that bull came together like that, it, the chances of that happening and of course, I let my my camera guy go, go home the day before that, right? <laughs> and, and we quoted out on hunts. Yeah, I think you had killed something, and Picard killed something, and the guy was like, "You know what? Just cut him loose. We're quoted out. Go have fun. Kill a bull." The next day, I went and killed a bull. You know, and it's, but I don't think it would have happened with the camera guy there because I moved the way I moved without second guessing anything, mm-hmm. and and that's. That's, I guess, the blessing and the curse of the camera guy, right? Because I'm thinking, well, what's he thinking? Is he going to be able to keep up? Is he going to make so maybe I need to alter my approach? Mm-hmm. And it's so every move is kind of switched up a bit. And even with the guys you jive with the best, you still have them in mind to some degree. And it changes from your solo experience, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, last year all this kind of started coming into picture for me because I, I've been hunting with my kids a lot more. And so – you know, when I said 10 minutes ago about really just enjoying the experience and letting hunting be what it is, whether I'm on film or not, it started coming to life when I started having my now 10-year-old son film. And it was amazing how much fun we had and because I took the pressure off of it. And we just would go out, and I didn't expect we'd get anything. We'd just go try to get some good footage. And then all of a sudden bulls are screaming and it's almost happening and my son's just shaking out of his boots with excitement but he's also collecting it and he's filming still and pulling it off and I'm like wow he's nine at the time and he's doing this you know this is epic and and that's kind of what we do it for right it's like for me anyway I mean not everybody's got six kids at home but uh you know that's really helped bring it around for me I guess Mm -hmm. and where you know, I knew I love, I've always loved hunting. I eat, sleep, breathe hunting. And, and anybody that knows me knows that. Mm-hmm. But to now to start to, to really bring it home to the training the kids and living it with the kids. And it can't be work and stressful or they're not going to like it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just going to be like doing chores if, if it's miserable out there in the woods trying to make dad happy. So it it was a coming to Jesus meeting for me. and it, And I tell you what, I... I'm excited to have them become my new hunting partners. It's just going to be a blast. And we're going to have lots of headaches, I'm sure, too, because they're new hunters. But mm-hmm. but they're good at it. They've watched me. I mean, you you look at your girls. They're smoking X-rings all day long at the archery range because they know they've seen it since they were babies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, second, it's like their second nature now mm-hmm. because they've literally lived it with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, you had some good points there. Like it is, you cater the experience to them and like, we know the payoff, like we know the payoff of killing a big buck or a big bull 
And so we'll do anything to accomplish that. We're willing to just sacrifice miles and day after day and persistence and grind and climb this mountain. But they haven't seen that payoff yet for them. Like you can't take them on a week long grind where you don't get an opportunity like that. That's really difficult. So, yeah, you kind of got to cater the experiences and you want them to have fun out there. And so you're right. It gives you some perspective, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it, it isn't about being successful. It's about showing them a quality experience and catering that experience to them and you want them to work hard for it you want to go hike miles but you also don't want to burn them out right. you know it's this fine line and what burns them you know what burns me out is, is way different than what burns them out because they haven't yeah. seen the payoff yet That's right. and so I just try to cater that hunt to them and I try to make it as fun as possible you know and 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 then just try to enjoy it but yeah it's fun to see your see your kids see it in that light you know see hunting in that uh, enjoy it like like you did, you know? Right. Yeah. And you learn to find success in the moment, which I think is what a lot of us lose in our goal oriented, got to be better yes. than the next guy hunting experience. And that's for me, that was kind of the wake up call the last couple of years getting, watching my kids shoot their first animals. And it's like, all right, this is, I mean, we always say hunting is not a, about the kill. It's the experience. And, and I think to a lot of degree, that's, we can all say we honestly say that but we all lose sight of it at some point right Mm -hmm. and our drivenness to to kill a 350 bull or whatever it is for you you know we all have a different uh, everest you know is it really uh gonna start or stop there though it all depends on i think i mean i i'm out with my kids just having a good time and we're more successful just enjoying the success of the moment because like you said when you're out in the woods things happen and so we're not forcing stuff we're just enjoying ourselves and learning and I'm taking my time and all, and all of a sudden, Hey, look, there's a buck over there. Let's go check it out. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. instead of just trying to turn over every rock on the hillside, we're just sort of out there letting it fly. Kind of like we used to do when we first started hunting and things start to happen and, and we're not forcing the stocks that are impossible because the kids aren't going to perform. And so now all of a sudden I, well, that's a doable stock. Let's take that one and, and make it happen, you know? And anyway, it's helped bring it back. I guess kind of like anything, when you teach it, mm-hmm. it takes you to your roots of it, right? And Absolutely. It, it's been a blast for me to be able to experience that. And and it's just increased my passion. So I'm I'm stoked for 2018. Yep. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, you uh, spurred on some thought there, like just about, um, like I always say, worth the price of admission. And, and like worth the price of admission to me, like bow hunting is so challenging and so tough that you're not going to get every stock right. But so far in life, that's the best adrenaline rush that I've ever gotten in my entire life is trying to sneak up on something with a bow and arrow. Heck yeah. Like, I mean, um, I, I mean, you know, the feeling is, is it, it's something you really want to achieve. It's extremely difficult, but you're so excited. Like, it's so thrilling. Like, every move you make determines whether or not you get them. And for me, that's worth the price of admission. It's like when I can get stocks and I can get plays, like I'll, I'll drive, you know, all the way across the state for a two, three day hunt. Yep. But if I go over there and I get a stock on one muley buck that I want to shoot, that's worth the price of admission. And so, like, I think you have to you enjoy getting those plays. Don't see them as failures. See them as successes and go, man, like I come back from a stock. Even if I didn't get them, I didn't get a shot, but I got close. I come back and I go, man, was that thrilling. Yeah. That, that was awesome. I was so close. Like I almost had the shot here. If it just would have went a little different or would have done this, you know, but, but those thrilling close encounters – 
Like, that's why we bow hunt. And so you got to enjoy those because you're not going to succeed every one. You're going to fail way more than you succeed. So those close encounters, those stocks, and those opportunities, embrace those. That's the fun of the hunt. Heck, yeah. No, that's a perfect example. And I don't think that I've done that enough if I look back at my hunts. I just And so that's I'm excited to just continue to do that more mm-hmm. and more. And I think it's going to make – I mean, I don't know how you can make hunting more exciting than it is now, but it's just going to be better. You know, yes, like you said, we just try to make it better and and enjoy the moments more. And uh, and in that, that success changes, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I think there's a blessing that comes with that, too, where you get you you have that success with the animal. Like last year when I shot that bull, I had tried harder than a lot of seasons in the short amount of time that I had to kill a bull. And I just didn't put it together. It was just a slump scenario, you know, lots and lots of super close calls. No kill. Mm -hmm. And it all came together that day. And, you know, I just felt like the Lord gave me that bowl. It was just one of those scenarios where I put in my dues. I tried like heck. And and I was kind of bumming. And it all came together. And I was just absolutely on cloud nine, you know. And, and to me, I know perseverance pays off because I've been there. You've been there. We've done that. How many times have you been at the end of your rope? You've put in hundreds of miles. You're tired. You didn't. You probably don't even really want to go out that day, but you decide to go out that day, and and then it all falls together. And you just. Need, I always tell my camera guy, it just takes five minutes. You know, it really takes less than that. It takes thirty seconds, but, but you know, you, you could be. Thinking it's all over. There's no nothing going to happen, and it happens just like that. I know. And it's done. It's happened to me many times and I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, the neat things about bow hunting, isn't it? Um, is that it can, it can come together with just a sliver of opportunity or like you say, 30 seconds, something can come together, you know, and you can make it happen. Um, yeah. And, and two, like, um, you know, it can seem so impossible. Like you talk about being at your lowest low, you know, it, it seems like an impossible feat. Like, how am I ever going to shoot a bull? You go for so many days in a row and, and you can't even get in bow range. You can't even loose an arrow. You can't even make it come together. Like, how do I, I've been out 12, 15 days hunting out. Like, how do I expect today's going to be the day? But you know what? It is like you keep putting out the, putting forth the effort and it almost like uh, feels like it's meant to be. Yeah. All of a sudden, those pieces fall into place. You make the right decisions at the right time, and there that bull is standing broadside, and you're able to send an arrow with him. And it, and it's happened to you so many times and me so many times that now I just I try to believe all the yeah. time. Like yeah. even when I'm at my lowest lows, like there's still I haven't slept in for a morning hunt in ten years. Like right. I will not miss a morning because I know it can be the morning where it comes yeah. together, and I've yeah. got the time. I'm gonna go chase him, but yeah. I, it, it's just funny how you can feel like it's so impossible, so difficult, it, it, and then it just falls in your lap and comes together. It's just amazing. It's bow hunting. It is. That's why we do it. If it was easy, we wouldn't be doing it, right? Oh, that's part of the reason why we like it. We like things that are challenging. Yeah, yeah. And, it, I mean, sometimes probably to the uh, the extreme, the harder you have to work for something, the more preparation you have to put into it, the more grueling it is most of the time the more satisfying it is when you're successful but which is why you're a backcountry junkie you know i mean that's just well it's just you live it and you feel it and it's amazing but if you don't experience it you can't relate to it. it yeah it's um 
it's tough because it's like this lasting fun, right? It, um, <laughs> right. it It's not always fun while you're doing it. Like you say, it's grueling backpacking back there and you push your body to its limits and your body's eating itself. You don't have enough fuel. You keep chasing. Like it's really difficult. It's really hard. And like you say, you have to put, you have so much invested in it with the training and then with the hunt. And then when it comes together and you come home, like it's it's just something you remember for a long time like you remember that joy or that like i don't get that same fun for something that i don't work for right. you know it's like a roller coaster i don't go home and say man that roller coaster was so fun and remember it for weeks on end and wish i was on that roller coaster like a 10-day elk hunt or mule deer hunt oh, like yeah. the moment i get back i dream about that hunt until the next year you yep. know and it's yep. so it's like this lasting fun and i think it is just that that you you know i think the I think humans were were made to challenge ourselves and and we want difficulty you know and we thrive in that difficulty and so that's like it's in our DNA to to love that and love that hard work you put into it but I I mean it's fun man Oh dude I love it that's why we can sit here and just talk about it without even having to read a script, right? Because it's in us. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the the one thing that we both just live, eat, sleep, and breathe is bow hunting. And so, yeah, like even on a podcast, like you don't plan them out, but it's wild. You just get talking. Um, you know, you asked me what the plan for the day was, and a lot of times I have a theme. But I just know that we're both bow hunters, and we both love it so much, and we know each other. And it's like, oh, man, it's going to be a great podcast. Like, let's, I'll just hit record and we'll just go <laughs> just go yeah heck yeah and it's that's what's so fun about the camaraderie that we build i mean i i was listening to all the last podcasts you guys have done and it's it's amazing how relatable bow hunters are to each other i mean you bump into each other at the sheep show or at the at different sporting events around the country and we can just sit here and talk like this with pretty much any bow hunter you bump into mm-hmm. i mean it's such a a unique i mean everybody has things in life that we can relate to somewhat work is one of them right i mean mm-hmm. every dude that bumps into another dude's like oh what do you do you know but another level it's like you're a brother when you're a bow hunter mm-hmm. and and you meet another bow hunter it's like that just changes everything it does well you know they they get you and you get them and you have this this common thread and so like all of a sudden you're right like you're almost instant buddies when you meet somebody yeah. that's a bow hunter you know and and um also, I like conversations that, that I'm really interested in and excited about. And there's a lot of things out in this world that I love to learn about, but I just love talking bow hunting. Like right. I, it's the, like you say, it's the one thing that drives you that's really challenging and you know it's really tough. And I love talking to other successful hunters and, and seeing what's common amongst us and also what's different. Right. Yep. Yeah. Everybody has their own thing, you know. And, it's, I, I've, and I, I tell a lot of people, if you want to be a successful bow hunter – you need to be like a chameleon of bow hunting. You know, you got to change with the seasons, with the times. With When I moved to Montana, I called in almost every bull I saw. That was only 10 years ago. I can't even call in a bull anymore, hardly. <laughs> and I know that part of that's just I don't try as much. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't even hardly call at all when I first met you, and I thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's what's cool about it is like, like you said, we all do it a little differently and find our success in a different way. But yeah, the common thread is bow hunting, maybe backcountry bow hunting or bow hunting elk or bow hunting mule deer or whatever it is. But it still revolves around the stick and the string and mm-hmm. and the opportunities that we try to strike up. And, and, and then it changes. I mean, how much have you changed your tactics? I mean, you're always changing your tactics. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, one thing that works one year is 
probably not going to work the next year. It's just going to get you close, and then you're going to have to modify it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to see that. And I wouldn't have thought of it that way when I started. You know, you grow up hunting with your dad or your grandpa or whoever it is, and most traditional hunting is just traditional. And and, and But then you have to – what do you do to – raise that bar mm-hmm. for me it was putting sights on my bow you know my all my uncles and my dad no they all shot instinctive with compounds so like the bare bow concept and they killed a lot of stuff but they also missed a lot of opportunities at stuff because they couldn't kill it and i was like no i'm not gonna do that i want to kill i want to kill everything i see right <laughs> so so i put sights on and 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 upgraded and and it it changed it revolutionized my success just because I was willing to do something new. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. I mean, maybe even too much. So, you know, where I, where I'm always seeking a different new thing to, mm-hmm. to jump onto, to help make it better, you know, more successful for the next one. But yeah, that's it. Um, when you said something interesting there is you have to be a chameleon. And I, I like one of the biggest keys to success. I know perseverance. I already said that was a big key to success, but uh, a big key is being able to adapt to the situation that you're given, like adapt to that hunt. I know I go into hunts and I have a game plan and how I'm going to kill this giant buck or this giant bull. And and I have this vision in my head of how it's all going to come together. It's almost always different when I get there, the elk are somewhere else. They're doing something else. The deer living in a different spot. Maybe the winds are bad where they're at, but I'm, I am constantly having adapt to having to adapt to the situation that I'm given, yeah. the habitat I'm given, and the and the animals and what they're doing. I I think that's such a good skill to have is is just not be set in in, in concrete in your ways. Like um, just try to think of things outside the box and right. look at that scenario where that animal's at or his habits or where he's working and, and try to look at it a different way or try to look at how you can be successful. Or sometimes you go and you fail two, three, four times doing it one way, and you go, I got to change. I got to do something different. And, and like I know on mule deer, like sometimes it's the way I hunt country. Like a lot of times I like to, you know, every spot's different the way you hunt it, but a lot of times I like to hunt off the ridgeline, glass down below me. Then I've already got the elevation. I can make a play down on a buck when I see him. Sure. Um, so a lot of ways, I, a lot of times I hunt them there, but you know, one of my favorite spots, like I was trying to hunt them from the top, but I couldn't keep track of the whole feature. It was this huge, broad feature. Mm-hmm. And so the bucks would always be on a different part of it, or they dif- disappear from my line of sight. I wasn't getting stocks. It wasn't working, even though the bucks were there. And then I had to move all the way down off the mountain and grab this vantage point that was like opposing that face. And even though I was an hour and a half from getting a stock on these deer, now I could see them all. It all laid out to me. And so now I could keep track of them. And I ended up getting a stock every day and then eventually killing one on the third day after I had moved down there, you know, but I had to hit my head against the wall for the first three days trying to live on the ridge, not getting any stocks, but just being able to adapt to your current situation, I think is so important. Huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's, it's so situational like you're saying Mm -hmm. you know from one spot to another or from a rainy season to a dry season or i mean there's absolutely the world of opportunity and change out there to to change it for you you know one day it's going to be different than the next and i I, i've seen it with elk elk is kind of my thing and i'm really getting into the mule deer hunting the last five ten years you know but i didn't even hunt mule deer growing up so it's been a blast to learn them i'm not nearly as experienced at it as you are and, 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 and watching you guys do it it's just an inspiration to me but elk 
it was where I guess that's my bread and butter in the Western hunting world, you know, and it's amazing to me to go, like you just said, you know, you, you hunt elk kind of a particular way or, or you get a signature move that going on. But then one year they're moving back and forth and this every day that you watch the herd come up and over top of the saddle down to this other side and disperse into the trees and do their thing. And then I don't, you know, it could be something as simple as the lead cow got shot in rifle season and it changes and the next season they aren't even in those basins anymore. You know, it's so crazy to see the smallest things can change the, in the biggest way and your honey hole just moved two miles, you know, and, and if you were planning on it being that way, you better be ready to change yep, or, or got to adapt or you're going to be super bummed out. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Or just like you said, a rainy season or sometimes you get a dry season and it's really crunchy out and all of a sudden stalking like, uh, you know, trying to stalk in range doesn't work. So you got to stalk close and then let things happen or try to move in front of them and cut them off. And so, yeah, it, it's always changing. The conditions are always different and and that's probably another reason why we like it. Like it's challenging, yeah. but it's always changing. And there isn't like hard rules that work all the time. Like it, it's different every time you're out there and you have to think and theorize. And where are those elk this year? They're not in here. Like, are they at lower elevation? Did the snow push them down? Are they higher elevation? Are they just over a bump or two? Like you're always just trying to think and come up with the answer and where they're at. And then, and then try to prove yourself right by hiking over there and finding them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And that's what's the rewarding, and it becomes rewarding. And you you said it several times, perseverance in hunting, if that's not the biggest thing, it's got to be one of the top two in my world anyway, because you got to just keep pushing. You got to. Yep. And if you don't, you're going to – I mean, some guys are just lucky, and they, they end up pulling it off in a short window here and there, and, and I'll take luck over skill any day, don't get me wrong, but – uh, there's been so many times, like <laughs> when Dan and I were hunting in Idaho, one of the first years, and it was raining miserable, September 29th, 28th, almost the end, and we hadn't had a bull yet, you know, and and guys like, just shoot something, like it doesn't have to be big, just get an episode, and I'm like, all right, we can do this, and we we failed almost we had almost like that week straight you know you're you have a bull at 20 yards bull at 30 yards bull here bull behind a tree bull this and you're just you're so stoked that you keep having these encounters saying it's gonna have to happen and then it's still you're like well there's two days left and it, and we couldn't even move it was just we couldn't even move camp it was so rainy we barely got off the hillside and it's like well we have to stick to the main routes but we're we got to find a new spot we just keep this one just keeps getting blown out and another hunter kept showing up. So we drove, we drove, we drove and spotted and climbed to hills and spotted over to the next side. And we drove and spotted again. And all of a sudden there's some cows and we're like, Oh sweet. And we spot them for like three hours and it looks like a herd of cows. I'm like, how is that possible? And they're on the top of this knob. I mean, if there's a bull there, you'd sure think you'd see one, right? We just about are ready to leave them. And one more time through the spotter, and there's a bull, just for a flash. I mean, two seconds. If I wouldn't have looked through the glass at that second, I wouldn't have seen him. And it's like, there he is. There's a shooter. We're going. You know, so we throw all our stuff together and rip over there, climb up to the top of the hill. And it took us 
three hours to be in position. We dropped a thousand, gained a thousand or fifteen hundred. We were there, and the bull was on the ground an hour later. And and it's like the whole season climax to that point, right? And we were just like absolutely laying on the ground. Oh my gosh, that really just happened, you know? It's like I didn't think it was going to happen, and and it worked, you know? It was absolutely epic, but we both wanted to quit. We were both tired. We were, you know, and Dan didn't even hardly get a chance to hunt much that year. So he was even more frustrated. Like, I just want to go kill an elk. And you're, you know, he was great. Don't get me wrong. But you know how it is. You want to hunt. Yes. We have it in us. I mean, he wasn't like griping, but you could tell he wanted to go kill an elk because Montana still has two more weeks of season. Let's get out of here. You know, it's just a mud bog and and perseverance and persistence paid off. And, And that's one of a dozen, I mean, 20 stories I could tell you, but if I had to say anything to any new hunters or guys that are discouraged is just keep, keep going, Mm -hmm. put your boots on. Don't miss that morning hunt. Yep. Keep going. Keep believing like, um, uh, believing in your spots. Like it's, it's easy to second guess yourself. Like you start in, you don't hear any bugles. You're like, Oh, they're not in here. Where are they at? Where do I need to be? But, uh, uh, really make sure that when you're going into these spots that you're giving it your all and you're hunting it hard. Yep. Like you have to believe you chose that spot for a reason, at least hunt it hard for that morning or that day or those couple days or however much time that you've dedicated to that spot. But so many times you hike in and you lose confidence in that spot, mm-hmm. start thinking of where you should be, haven't heard any bugles, but you just got to give it your all. And that belief that you'll find something is usually when you turn something up, hiking some back ridge line, you just look in a basin and all of a sudden there he is here's my opportunity yep. you know and and you get a chance but yeah you uh, believe in the spot that you're hiking in you know hunt it give it your all and then move on right yeah and there's almost always an animal in that region that you're in and i mean it's not like they just moved out so one more ridge it's kind of like always been my theme you know I, I think you're that way too it's like well they're not here we're already four miles in, but I wonder what's over on the other side of that ridge. <laughs> and you end up sometimes, I mean, I've walked back to the truck one in the morning thinking to myself, what the heck did I do that for? But I found the elk, finally. You know what I mean? Maybe it was nine miles one way, but I found him. And so the next day I got a, a game plan and, and the stuff on my back to stay for a couple of days or whatever I got to do, and I can hunt, you know, and that's – I learned that as a kid hunting turkeys with my best friend Chuck in Spokane. We'd be just smashing canyons trying to get a gobble, and you know there's turkeys there. It's like I was, it's like watching Stephen Ranella hunt them down in, in Nevada or wherever he was. I mean, there's like two turkeys in the whole wilderness, but they finally found them. Well, we kept going, and I, I was like, dude, let's go find a different spot. And he'd be like, no, dude, come on. One more, one more hill. And we'll, we'll, if we don't get a gobble over that one, and he was notorious for doing that like ten times, right? <laughs> one more hill, one more hill, and then it's like, Chuck, come on, man. There's no turkeys in here, and we would always get a gobble, and we would always have a, a, a scenario if we kept going. Mm-hmm. And that taught me. I mean, I was 15, 16 years old, chasing him around, and and it was like maybe a cancer at the, <laughs> cause it grows, you know, but, but no, I just don't give up. And, and I think that that's absolutely speaks to the success that I've had mm-hmm. because a lot of my spots weren't epic. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I've, I've only drawn a couple special tags in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I like it that way. I mean, for me, the general tag experience, I can duplicate. I mean, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm totally stoked to draw some epic tag at some point, but 
I know I can go back to my spots every year. Mm-hmm. And I, I there's a certain love for that to me. So I like that, too, because you're gaining knowledge. You know, you can go back and hunt it again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you there. Um, and, and I think as humans, we're made to explore like, a, I like to see what's over that next hill. I like to look at a drainage I've never looked at. Like I love the possibilities of finding a new hunting spot or yeah. finding a, a herd of elk or, or deer. So I love that exploring that next hill, that next look, you know? So yeah, you just try to embrace that and keep going and look at new stuff and hopefully create an opportunity. And also I think what's important too, like I think, um, you know, like full circle, like talking back about our experience, how it teaches you to, to harvest animals. Like you learn these little moves inside the red zone, like right. getting your range, getting drawn. Like those details are so important. And you go with somebody that maybe doesn't have as much experience as you or like they're maybe they're a new hunter and they don't quite have that killer instinct yet. You know, they – you know, maybe move their bow too much while they're trying to get it drawn or trying to get it up, or they move too fast in that last little bit or that, but you, you start to, you start to learn what you can get away with and what you can't. And those little tiny movements within that 30 seconds of trying to get your range, get drawn back and get your shot are so important. And, and the only teacher really is experience and trying to learn from it and get better, I guess. But yeah, but you're right. Experience is the, the master of, of uh you know our sensei if you will for for what we do if you can't get out and do it you're i mean you can be good and passionate but nothing teaches better than experience yeah well and that gosh that those those close calls too um you know with a bow you're extremely close to those animals when you're trying to execute a shot Uh, a lot of times you know you're you're under the watch of some sort of eyes somewhere you know and so whether that's waiting and being patient till they don't see you till you can get drawn or trying to make the move super slow and get your bow drawn back super slow you know what and those are all dictated by experience again and your instincts but um gosh those those little tiny moves you make inside that that red zone in those last few seconds determine whether or not you get a shot and whether or not you get a good shot or not. Yeah. Yeah. They're critical and make or break the scenario often. I I learned a ton sitting in tree stands growing up watching, watching deer. I mean, for hours you'd see, you know, their does would be cruising through and watching. You just, it's amazing. Now sure you're on a different plane, right? I'm above them. But when you're really living the tree stand world, you drop pretty low because it's the experience, right? And I, I can't tell you how many times I messed up, but through that, I know the twitch of the ear in a certain direction means don't move right now. Yeah, you know, most of the time. Yes. Know? And that's, I'd say that's pretty unilateral through the deer and elk world anyway. Mm-hmm. Most of our ungulates move pretty similarly when they're on watch or on guard or mm-hmm. when they're relaxed and feeding. And you know, if you pay attention to that body language, and it's pretty amazing how all of a sudden you can get away with substantial movement if you're if you're able to read their body language correctly and keep your eyes on them you know and mm-hmm. of course if there's 20 of them then you just really <laughs> change things a lot you know but even there you know we were hunting uh, Idaho a couple of years ago my camera guy was just laughing we we're walking straight out of herd elk for a mile and they're up on this hillside they can see us but they're not. They're feeding. And I can see that. I can see their heads down. They're not looking our way. And so it's just and it's kind of a silly point, I guess. But 
a lot of people would think you'd have to find tree cover the entire way. You know, I just was watching them every step I took. And if, if I saw a head pop up, I stopped. And we literally covered a mile of open country, got to the trees and snuck in on them and ended up having a 60-yard encounter. Actually, came closer than that, just out of sight. On this sweet bull, it was awesome. But there was no other way to get there. So it was either try it or not. And then through experience, I've learned that I can get away with that most of the time. Sure, there's always that situation where the, those elk are just turned on and they're looking like antelope for everything. Mm-hmm. But you, I could just tell by their body language through the spotter that that's not what these elk were doing. So let's do this, you know. Let's walk right at them and, and pull it off or not, you know. And sometimes that's – you regret those decisions occasionally, right? You push, yep. push it a little hard, you know. But I was for us, in that situation, it was like, hey, we need to make something happen. Let's Let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting footage of a bull breeding a cow at 60 yards. I mean, that was epic. I've never even seen it before. And here we are having the experience, like, elk screaming all around us. And, and, and this big bull comes out and breeds this cow, and everything happens. And, and he ran right at us because there was a spike sitting right next to me to chase off the spike. And I was like, here, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And he just blasting 40 yards and then just swoops right past us chasing that spike and he's behind trees the whole time <laughs> so you're just aiming at at you know moving elk through the trees and he never stopped i cow called a dozen times you know and he walked right past us and he was gone but i remember that footage yeah that was epic footage you captured in that thing i remember that um yeah uh well and like you say you you read the body language of those elk that's an important one too is reading that body language and they pick up on movement far more than they pick up on anything else and so you're right like they pick up their head and you freeze yeah and you wait till they put their head down then you can move again and if they don't if they don't know something's hunting them like they're just out there feeding being elk you know then you can get away with quite a bit like, yeah. like you guys did that day through open country they just weren't looking for you focused on feeding their heads were down you move one of their heads picked up you stopped got to the cover and then made your play up there on them but yeah that's cool yeah that's a ton of fun it just a teacher of experience i wouldn't have tried it if i would have well i might have tried it but i knew i could try it because i'd already played that game before mm-hmm. and and succeeded so i gave it a shot again you know mm-hmm. I love trying new things when I don't have the pressure of the failure, right? But then again, it's like hunting with Dan Picard the first couple of years. I trained into myself early on in the season of life to drop when an animal was right in front of me. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So we'd be cruising along and pop through this meadow, and there's like a bull walking across it, and I just (laughs) drop down to the ground, and Dan's like, get up, you know don't drop just stay still and i just didn't i never even thought of it that way it's like if you just stay still stop now i can shoot from that position if i need to when i drop i can't shoot from this position anymore most of the time i mean if they're right there maybe and so part of it was just us synchronizing but the other part of it was just extra movement right i'm coming around and i see something so i drop well i just made three feet of vertical movement it's going to make some peripheral attention to that animal most likely unless you get lucky versus just freezing in in place you're talking inches and uh trust your camouflage or trust your your situation at that point and it's better than dropping you know three feet of vertical and i never thought of it that way i just i don't even know where i learned that habit but and i still fight it 
I'll still come into an opening and there'll be an animal or something and I want to go to my knees. Mm-hmm. And occasionally it's the right move to make. Yep, right. But but uh, interesting concept on movement to consider. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I see that quite a bit. And I yeah, there was some years where I did that as well. And so, yeah, you see an animal and you drop, but that creates so much more movement for the animal that you've seen and any other animals around. So, yeah, you make a really good point. Now, where it's right to drop is like where you're all silhouetted and you're just like this this huge human silhouette and no animals are looking at you. Well, then you drop because they may pick you out standing up. Yes, right. You more so than they'd pick you out crouched down. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Those um, That crouching down every time you see animals, like you're better off just to freeze, survey the scenario, and then make the movements, you know, let those animals dictate the movements that you make, you know. But, yeah, that's a that's a really good one you touched on there, that, that kneeling down. That's um, so common. It is. It's a common mistake. And I know, back to experience, you got to know when to do it. Yep. You know, and how many times have you dr- or wait to drop? You know, instead of just doing it initially, watch their then watch the situation and realize, okay, they're looking away. I mean, you have standoffs with cows or spikes or bigger bulls all all the time. Oftentimes those standoffs end in them looking the other direction. And then you have an opportunity to get out of the way or back out or do whatever you need to do to reposition. It's so wild how freezing, how much more, how many opportunities that'll create, like knowing when to freeze. And it's any time those animals pick up their head or they pick up movement and they look at you, you just stay frozen, just a statue. And so like sometimes you'll have a five or 10 minute stare off. But a lot of times, like you say, they'll go back to feeding. They'll go back to being out. Like they register danger. They look there and they're trying to catch the danger. And when you don't move for that five minutes, they just don't pick you up and they don't see you. And they go back to being out. Yeah. All of a sudden, their guard's down again. But, yeah, that being able to freeze on that stocks is so important. You do it so many times, whether it's does, cows, even the big buck you want or the big bull you want will be staring holes through you. Yeah. And you just got to stay still. The we killed a really nice bull in the Madisons this year. My Hawaiian buddy, uh, yeah, Robin, killed right. that really nice six-point. Um, that bull was chasing the cow on the edge of an opening. I got the range for him, 40 yards. He drew back when the bull was walking by the tree perfectly, and the bull just stuck his head out, and his vitals were hidden by that tree. And so my buddy's at full draw, and that bull's just staring at us, and we're just frozen. I just remember keep telling him, just hold still. Just hold your draw. It's yeah. going <laughs> to come out. And he held his draw for – you know, it seemed like at least a minute, and that bull screamed this huge bugle right in our face, staring right at us, and then looked back where the cow was and walked right out and gave him that 40-yard shot. But, yeah, yeah, just being able to freeze and wait, you know, so the attention's off you. so important when you're stalking. Yeah, some, and it feels like an eternity. Oh, the cramps you get waiting sometimes for a yeah. doe to look away or a cow to look away. Yep, yeah, I'm, I've never had you know, numb legs like that before. Oh, I know. Get up and you had to take it two minutes just to get circulation back sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's bow hunting, isn't it? Yeah, Definitely. and it's so difficult. You Like sitting here talking about it now, you say, okay, you got to be frozen for five minutes to kill this bull or ten minutes to kill that bull. But when you're on a stock, like you're constantly having to freeze like that. And sometimes it's not even the animal you saw, it's animals you bumped into. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you feel like that opportunity is fleeting or getting away from you because that bull's moving off, but you can't go because you've got a smaller bull in front of you and he's going to blow up the whole scenario. But you're, you're constantly having to freeze on those stocks and stay frozen. Yeah, definitely. And I, I that brings the thought up for me is practicing – 
what we do in the field. Like that's, I know you practice odd situation for shooting all the time, you know, mm-hmm. but how often do you kneel down to your legs or numb and then try to make a shot? Mm-hmm. We don't do it like that. You know, we, we just practice standing up or we practice kneeling because kneeling might be a position that we shoot from, but that's where preparation is so much of what we do. You know, can you, can you make a shot if you can't feel your legs? Probably. But have you tried? Mm-hmm. I mean, not saying go sit in your yard for two hours, but maybe. I mean, at what point do we experience these things that and then actually prove it to ourselves? Mm-hmm. I know that for, for a lot of scenarios, just changing your position in that last minute can make or break your shot, right? I mean, if you're sitting – for me, a lot of the time nowadays is just – making sure I, I'm set up in the right position in the first place. You know, it used to be, well, just get get out of the way and they aren't seeing you and then reposition for your shot. But then you find out over time, it's like, no, I need to be ready to shoot from any position it's every time I stop, right? It doesn't matter if there's an animal there or not. I better be in a spot where I've got lanes. I better be standing or in a kneeling position that I can actually shoot from. And then, and then if you get caught off guard or you're – you're ready, I guess, is the point. Yeah, arrow knocked, bow in front of you. You're ready for a shot. Right. Like, you don't have all these movements to get to ready. make. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. when I was, oh, I had to be like eight. I was hunting elk with my dad in Oregon. My brother and I were there that week. So we were like six and eight or eight, seven and nine, super young. And he's tripsing around in the woods with us. And we sit down for lunch. And he's pulling out the, remember those old power bars? They're like eating. I don't even know. Oh, yeah, I ate a million of them. Yeah, the right. wild berry were my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to eat like a full canteen of water with them. Oh, yeah. Cause, and then they swell up and you're full for the rest of the day. Anyway, we cracked those puppies out and we're gnawing on those things. And dad's like, this is when you got to be ready, right? He's like, this is when you want to have your bow here. And just you never want to let your guard down because that's when it's going to happen. And I, I kid you not, four elk walked past us, and his bow was like four feet away, and he couldn't reach him. Like, <laughs> as those words were coming out of his mouth, he was reaching for his bow, and they were walking past us, and we were sitting there holding our power bars going, Dad, shoot it. <laughs> and it was a great lesson, though. Like, how can you always, as much as possible, mm-hmm. be on the ready? Because you're in their living room. Mm-hmm. This, You know, who knows how that next moment or that next tree, what, what, but what's behind that next corner? Mm-hmm. What's well, gonna... Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like being ready for that shot to present itself, but it's also being ready in the woods, like um, right. being with your hunting buddy and being quiet, like not letting your voices get loud, like just not letting your guard off. And also like as you're hiking a, a ridgeline, like don't stop looking for critters, like yeah. uh, always being on the ready because – I, you know, I, I've screwed up so many opportunities just by moving through country and busting something out or coming over a ridge and not moving slowly over that ridge to see if there's something there. But yeah, always being on the ready and, uh, you know, creates opportunities or creates a lot more opportunities than, than when you let your guard down, like you say, with, with anything you do. Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, I've always been the slow and steady hunter because I, have encountered a ton of game that way you know it's like you sure you know when you're in a spot you're probably not going to see elk so you can blast through it or whatever but it's amazing how just slowing down and being ready 
increased my encounters because I was trying to get like in my mind, oh, that back basin, there's always bulls bugling in there. That's 3.8 miles away. I got to truck it. Right. And then, but how many elk do I pass to get to that point? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the, my learning lesson that started teaching me that. And, and now I kind of, pick a happy medium, I guess. You yeah. know? I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's definitely points where you're just blasting through country, but it's amazing how many times just slowing down and being ready has worked out amazingly well and encounters have come together mm -hmm. because I was willing to. Hey, Gunny, come on, get off him. We got my dog down here now. He hasn't left Jordan alone. He's just I, still I like a, like dogs right? Too. He's just still a 10 month old puppy. He's That's getting right. it just a little too excited. All right, bud. You're going to be on the podcast. you got to calm down. <laughs> um, no, you're right. Always being on the ready. I'd say that's a mistake I make a lot is I, I want to get somewhere and I move too quick through country and end up spooking them. But you move through so much country that doesn't have game, you know, that you want to get to the game-rich country. But, yep. um, yeah, no, that's definitely – that's part of my game that I need to continually work on is just being on the ready when I'm transitioning. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You never know when that that next – encounter is going to happen and i think for mule deer it's probably from what i've experienced it's a little different game you know i mean you have your your uh high basins and your spots that you maybe you're going to cross a giant yep. buck on the way there but you're not gonna be able to hunt him because he's in the hardwoods or whatever i mean there's yep. certain fact but for elk it seems to be a different game i mean you always have that there's wall well where i hunt there's wallows on pretty much every system mm -hmm. ridge system there's a there's elk activity within daily within those areas for the most part oh gosh They're just my professional studio here with my dogs and my cat <laughs> in my basement <laughs> so funny but no you're you're so right like when you're in elk country you can bump into elk anywhere in there right yep so you got to be on the ready yep and that's yep. i guess that's just kind of circling back around to the you know experience learning what you can do and then letting that transition into the, you know, being ready all the time. I mean, it's amazing. And practicing what that looks like in the real world, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. these new 3D shoots and stuff do a pretty good job of encompassing that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, but you still have to prepare for those awkward situations when, because that's how hunting works, right? Yeah. We've all seen the pictures of the, the old old man reaching for the toilet, or the 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 rifle as the buck's coming by when he's taking a dump, right? Right. Well, that's like, and it's, we laugh at it because it's true. It's, it is. It's the reality of, of the outdoor world. Well, and it's, um, it's crazy what you see when you stop, like you're moving all the time and all of a sudden you stop and all of a sudden there's a buck that comes walking by you're like your dad, the four, like, it's amazing when you just slow down and let everything happen around you, what will transpire. And yeah. so, yeah, a lot of times when you're having a lunch or when you're stopping and slowing down and you're quiet, like things just happen. happen. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, if you can capitalize on them, gosh, I've messed up. I, I feel like I don't get lucky very often, but every time I get lucky, I screw it up because I wasn't paying attention sure. or I, I didn't capitalize on it because I messed up. But, yeah, it's just trying to learn from that and get better on every one. And you're not going to win every one, too. No. Like, um, no. yeah, I'm good at picking out animals with my glass when I'm looking over a drainage. You know, as far as you can't still hunt every ridgeline, but you can move through there and be on the ready and try not to make too much noise. Sure. Like, um, that's acceptable. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Well, um. 
Man, uh, it's always really fun talking to you. So passionate about bow hunting. Thanks so much for making the trip down and having a conversation with me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks Putting for up with me. my dog and my cat <laughs> and uh, my whole recording situation. But no, it, it's really fun. I really like getting together and talking bow hunting with you. You've been extremely successful year after year, and uh, I'm sure you're going to see great success in 2018. So you got to come back on after hunting season. Yeah, I'd love to. It'd be exciting to recap, man. I'm stoked. For sure. It's going to be a good year for hopefully for both of us. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just hope to go on some good adventures and uh, embrace them and enjoy them as much as I can. I know you're the same. Spring bears right around the corner. Ooh, it is. You going to be bear hunting? I'm going to try. Yeah. You know, I haven't done much of it, uh, but this year I have more time than usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've spring bear hunted in Idaho where you bait and do that whole scenario because that's what you do over there. But I haven't done a lot of the spot and stock and stuff that you do here in Montana. So I'm excited to sharpen more skills in that area and uh, get my boy and my daughter out with me and, and go from there. So, yeah. Right. Definitely. All right. Well, my puppy won't leave you alone. Let's wrap it up. Um, yeah. Thanks again for being on. Um, so insightful into bow hunting. Yeah, like I say, uh, you're so skilled. It's just fun conversation to have with you. So uh, we'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks, Brian. Yep. My dog is such a jack. All right, guys. That's an episode. Uh, really fun conversation with Jordan. Um, it's just one of those guys that has figured out a way to be consistently successful and it's tough, like on public lands uh, with a bow and arrow, a lot of general season tags or over-the-counter tags. It's extremely difficult. Uh, so so kudos to him on this past season and, and all his season success, really. Um, and, and just a really fun conversation. I sure appreciate him driving down here to Ennis and then um, sitting down with me and recording. So uh, that was fun. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Sitka. Again, they just released their new 2018 line. Make sure to check out that Apex line. Uh, Merino wool hoodie, uh, uh, smart pocket design on it, uh, great zippers. Like I just, I always say they're evolving their fit or evolving their design, and, and this is the work of uh, uh, years uh, uh, of trying to get the perfect hoodie, and I think they nailed it with this one. Like I say, it's in between the lightweight hoodie and the, the – uh, uh, heavyweight hoodie as far as weight it's merino wool i'm gonna be wearing it all the time uh elbow pads um and they're small lightweight ones that you don't even really feel in the shirt um but it is gonna help so you don't get bloody elbows uh when you're trying to stock uh pants are just as nice um i'm gonna wear those a ton they're just a little bit heavier than the um than the uh what am i trying to think of the ascent pants um they've got a knee pad in them but they're just like the the perfect hunting weight um for like that that mid-season or even early season or even late season for that matter layer underneath it but um they're just going to be a great all-around pant all-around hoodie uh thanks to uh sitka for sponsoring the podcast i sure appreciate all their support and uh wish them luck with this 2018 line i know it's going to do great um they've knocked it out of the park with this one um, and then out there at Eastman's just, um, working away, recording podcasts and, um, making plans for the summer. And, um, we're going to do another podcast tour, at least go to a couple different places to record some podcasts that I'm real excited about. And, and, uh, so kind of putting that together and, uh, I say going to record with Scott tomorrow. That ought to be a good one. And, 
and uh, just keep things rolling. I'm really excited for some um, video in this year. Um, I got to get together with Guy and sit down and come up with a game plan, uh, which hunts we're going to film. But um, got a, a couple guys that are going to film for me this year that are just really high level. And so I uh, can't wait to get those guys on board and, and uh, just see if I can capture the essence of some of these hunts. It's It's so difficult. Like you get this chance to do filming and I've always done these epic adventures and you think, God, would, if I could just put this to film, it would be amazing. But the truth is that it's tough to capture it in a 22 minute show. And so, you know, it, it takes practice and it takes work. It takes, um, talking into the camera and getting comfortable with it. It's amazing how you can just talk with your buddies, talk on the podcast or wherever it is. But the minute you stick a camera in your face, all of a sudden you can't find the words to describe what you're doing. And so it, it takes, you know, it takes working at it. It takes getting comfortable with it. And so, you know, over the last couple seasons of, of being able to video these hunts, I've got more and more comfortable and I'm starting to see more of the shots that I need to get, um, to, to make a real epic show. And, and, um, so anyways, I'm just going to team up with these cameramen this year, and we're really going to try to to capture some of these hunts. So really excited for that. Check that out on uh, the Outdoor Channel, um, Eastman's Hunting Journal TV, and uh, and then also check out the Beyond the Grid. Um, I, I've turned in some footage for that, so hopefully we make an episode and I make a debut on there. But um, yeah, and, and just cruising along with these magazines. Um, boy, I'm just really waiting for tags to come out. Um, really excited to, to figure out which hunts I'm going to be going on. And, you know, hopefully some of these hunts that I've kind of banked on, I end up with tags. And um, I, I just can't wait for this season. I uh, super busy right now with being in bear season and with work and podcasts and the girls, you know, are keeping busy with sports and things. Um, so really busy, but, uh, fitting in my time, fitting in my workouts, my shooting. Um, I, I'm going to be ready for this season and, uh, I just can't wait for it to get here. So, all right, with that, uh, that's a podcast. Um, as always, thanks for the support, guys. Uh, support if you saw that Instagram story I did of that bear hunt. That was pretty fun to capture. So close to killing that chocolate. And uh, thanks for the support on the solo podcast I released earlier this week. Um, it uh, I felt a little brain dead on it, but I, I think I, I got all my thoughts out on the podcast, maybe missing a word here or there, but um, it, it, I just had so much information that I wanted to share. And so if you want to know... Um, everything I know about spring bears, it's pretty much in that podcast, but, uh, it was a fun one for me to record. It went a little long again, guys. God, it's like a hour and 49 minutes or something. I try to keep them around an hour and before I know it, like that time's just getting up there and I still think, you know, I still got two, three, four things I want to cover and then I get talking about it and, and pretty soon I'm at two hours. So, uh, hopefully you guys don't mind the, the longer length or you guys can hang in there with me for the longer length. Two hours of me talking on a solo podcast is crazy, but, um, that's what it is and it's out. Uh, that was the, the previous episode. Um, so thanks you guys. I appreciate it. Check in with you next week.